Pulse Audio Podcast Network. Hello, History Heroes, and welcome to another episode of Whiny About History, the kismet-fueled women's history podcast where two longtime besties come this fucking close to covering the same person all too often. And when we talk about women from history you probably haven't heard of, I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And thank you so much for joining us for this very special, accidentally-themed episode. Yay. <laughs> Kelly and I, are uh, our brains are synced up. They always talk about like women's cycle singing syncing up, but we're synced up in our herstory passions. Waves. Yes. We're riding the same wave <laughs> and crashing on the shore. Yes. And kind of landing on our feet. Yeah, I mean, we didn't cover the same woman. I so was we're good. terrified because Kelly mentioned she was covering someone from the Navy, and so am I. I was like, oh shit <laughs> so I asked her or she asked me who I'm covering I told her and like I was waiting for her to reply and I was waiting for like the crying emoji or the face pump something or just a long series of expletives but luckily she responded cool, cool. <laughs> with <laughs> so an exclamation point it's fine but that does mean that uh, we have a special theme for this week's episode which is yeah. veterans more specifically Navy, Navy veterans, veterans. Woo! Yeah. <laughs> Kelly and Emily coming this close to disaster it's like we're playing a game of chicken yep. and we keep winging each other yeah we're just like eh, eh, little yep. nudges alright uh, and actually I'm not entirely surprised because Veterans Day was just this last Wednesday mm -hmm. by the time this episode comes out. So, so I, it's on everyone's mind, it is. you know? Yeah. yeah. I had a really good Veterans Day. So uh, for the past like four years, I've taken Veterans Day off work and then Jared and I have spent the day together. Because yeah. Veterans Day can be kind of like a hit or miss charged Right. Day well, and him. I know he's he's kind of not, not been on the the up lately so you know yeah I, I did think about him on veterans day and i meant to text you and then i didn't he felt it good you may have felt him going <laughs> i just know which is his personal greeting for you yep. um but it was actually a good day so we we took advantage of some of the like veterans day deals actually Yay. we walked to uh like our favorite coffee shop Yay. and they weren't having like there was nothing advertised but the place is named after a uh a bald eagle that was like a civil war mascot oh so i'm wondering if the guy who runs the place is a veteran or has connections Probably. to the military because jared had his uh veteran hat on and as we're fighting over who's gonna pay because i'm like jared it's veterans day i'm not letting you pay for our coffee and he's like but i want to and i'm like you're making me look like a bitch the guy was like don't worry about it. Just I got you guys. <laughs> Actually, it wasn't because it was Veterans Day. It was because he was so embarrassed right? for us. He's, He's just like, like please this. leave my shop. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. But that was really nice. And so it was It was a good day. It was a chill day. And at the end, you're just like, thank you for making this a really good day oh. for me. And I'm like, I'm not crying. You're crying. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, I have a wine for us today. Yay. Because we cover the wine before our say their name because Although sometimes I Emily feel bitch like, cries. I feel like this time we should almost cover the say their name first. Okay. Well, it's up to you. What are we doing? I think we should cover the say their name first. Okay. Because then it's celebratory wine. Yes. Yes. We get to we get to cheer for a reason. Our say their, their name, name this week is, is Kamala Harris VP Olympic. 
bitches! Oh my god! We're so excited. It's, this is modern day history happening right here, people. It's so funny because our episode that came out last week, we recorded it before, like we knew what was going on. Right. And between recordings, Kelly and I were like checking Google and checking, you know, what was going on and freaking out. And so now we've been very. Excited. We get to kind of breathe that sigh of relief. There seems to still be some tension and some shit going on but it's so important to celebrate it's so important to take time and acknowledge amazing things are happening and regardless of how you feel about kamala or biden this is a historical moment so for people who don't know or our overseas listener she will be our first female vice president she will be the highest ranking female ever elected in u.s history she will also be the first asian american and first african-american vice president Yay! And actually, Kelly told me something that I did not fucking know because I thought she was going to be the first person of color VP, but that's not true. No, she's the first female. She's the first woman of color woman VP. Woman of color VP. But the first person of color VP was under, who was it? Was it Hoover. William Her- Hoover? Hoover. 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 That's what they call vacuums in the UK. That's all I can <laughs> think of. Oh, Emily, did you Hoover the, the library today? I don't know why yeah, I'm doing was, a Minnesota accent. It was under <laughs> Herbert Hoover. His name was Charles Curtis, and he was a Native American. That's, that's fucking cool. I, how did I not know that? And just in case you want to know how white our government is... She is only the third person with acknowledged non-European ancestry to reach one of the highest offices in the executive branch of our government, right behind Charles Curtis, the Native American, and President Obama. <laughs> God, I... That's it. That's all we've had. Why am Everyone I Everyone else has been European. <laughs> in, in the executive branch, we have had people in our court branches, our, our judiciary branch... I know we've had oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. women of color there. I don't know about the other branch, the and, military branch. Well, I know one thing about the military branch, but it's in my story. <laughs> no no spoilers. But this was actually a really uh, incredible election because there were a yeah. lot of a lot of historic firsts as far as uh, trans people being elected to government, women being elected to government, people of color being elected to government. It is. Indigenous people. Like, it's... It, it's really cool to see because it feels like every election we're just like boom 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 first 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 stuff out first on first on first so who's on first they're on first yeah (laughs) but yeah so uh this is a really exciting moment like I'm not going to take credit, but I feel like us starting a herstory podcast definitely put some positive energy into the world into the universe yes we're yeah. putting this out there, and all the other Herstory podcasts are also a part of this, so thank you, yes. and you're welcome. Right. <laughs> all right. Well, now getting into the wine. I'm su- I'm sufficiently giddy now. Yeah. I started- See, I told you it was good. I, I started watching um, Kamala's address to the people, and I started, like, tearing up, and Kelly's like, like are you going to cry? Is this what we're doing Is now? this what we're doing? And I'm like, okay, I, I, it needs to stop. I, I, I will watch it later in the privacy yeah, of my own I home, will probably watch it where later I can- too emotionally bitch cry for joy i know i'm so excited <laughs> all right so today we are drinking some f steven millier millier i thought it said okay first thing i thought my like dyslexia was acting up and i was adding nope, an extra i at the end no it is m-i-l-l-i-e-r you tricky bastard so this is from my uh naked wines box so uh get pre- get ready to be called an angel 
So this is uh, Angels Reserve 2019 Rosé Wine. Dear Angels, I have been lucky enough to be the head winemaker at a small, award-winning Californian winery. I've always... (laughs) I'm already fucking this up. Californian winery. But I've always hankered after the opportunity to make my own special wines. So thank you for stepping in and supporting me, as without your financial support, it simply wouldn't have happened. I hope you enjoy it, and please let me know what you think. Signed, F. Stephen Millier. I'm gonna, I'm gonna add a French spin. Yeah, that's fine. To his name, I love how I start out like kind of phone sex operator, and then I end and then with you like, well, you screwed up, and then you just went for a completely I went different like, voice. I went like like aristocrat (laughs) yeah all right well cheers to vp elect kamala Kamala harris clink so we've had reds for the last like month yeah and instead of going straight red emily's like i'm just gonna go for a pink we're not gonna go back to white it's not yet to transition slowly so it's not a shock to the system this is good i thought it was gonna be a lot more dry and to be quite honest i was not looking forward to it I like it. Yeah. It's, it's not like super dry, but it's not like super like wet. Y- yeah. <laughs> I still hate that we can describe wine as I wet know. and it means something. But it has a very smooth mouth feel and like it's just it's pleasant. It's not like a yeah. kick in the teeth like some of the reds we've had recently have been. It's just it's mellow. It's satisfyingly sweet. Yeah. Like there's like enough it's not sweetness like, where it's not like, oh, I'm drinking like yeah, it's alcoholic not a dessert LaCroix. Wine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm happy. I am pleasantly surprised because like I said, like, was not looking like forward to it. Coaster. Just yeah. <laughs> we have our midsummer pug coasters and I'm very excited. Yes. I love these coasters to I be perfectly too. honest. I bought them randomly because I had pugs on them and I'm like, they can be for the podcast. They are my second favorite coasters next to mine at home that say, Don't be a turd today. Yeah, I do like those. <laughs> and the uh the girls just want to have fundamental rights. <laughs> I guess I get to kick off today. I'm very excited. I am too, actually. Like, so while I was doing my research and I was actually doing some of it on Veterans Day and then some of it like over the last few days because I like to be behind on my notes, apparently. It's more of a challenge. It's more exciting. Yeah, just whoo. Yeah. Um, so I came across a wonderful article written by a woman in the Navy about women in the Navy. And I've actually since reached out to her just to make sure it was okay. I quote her article and stuff, and she seems phenomenal. She is Midshipman Spencer E. McVeigh. I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, because I already told her that I was doing this, so she's going to listen. The pressure's on. (laughs) She graduated just in May, so very recent graduate, and her article is just is wonderful. So I'm just going to start with an excerpt from it. It's kind of a long excerpt. Sorry. It was a really good article. It's worth it, guys. I... Kelly sent me the article. I read it. I'm like, this is everything. It's it's really good. So this is what she said. So this is all a quote. Last year in my leadership class at the Naval Academy, my professor asked around the room for examples of a great leader. My classmates named the likes of Nelson Mandela, George Washington, and General Mattis. I added Admiral James Stockdale to the list of, frankly, usual suspects. When we finished, the the professor, a Navy commander, asked if we noticed anything similar about the names we offered. After we responded with silence, he laughed and said, there is not a single woman. My first thought, I'm a terrible feminist. (laughs) 
<laughs> that literally... would have been my exact same first thought. That's literally my favorite line in the whole thing because especially having a women's history podcast and people are I'm like, terrible. have you heard of this woman? I'm like, no, no I'm yeah. a bad feminist. Exactly. Or if I don't know something about like a really famous woman because we terrible. don't cover them. I'm like, ah. like I should know, but I don't. <laughs> so she said, I consider myself a passionate advocate of equal rights. Why didn't I offer a woman's name? My second thought, do I even know more than five names of American women veterans who have made my career possible? My archives stretched barely beyond my mother and three famous female Naval Academy graduates. What about everyone else? I am a female member of the class of 2020, and I had to Google notable female veterans to expand my knowledge. That's also how my research started. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Good on you, That's how I found this article. (laughs) God damn it. Um... So she goes on, she obviously wrote this for Veterans Day, um, and she goes on to talk about her experience as a woman in the Navy. Quote, people still consider military work to be men's work. So when a woman comes along, society can still be a bit surprised. I know from my own limited experience as a midshipman, like the time I carried my cover, which is their like the cap you wear in the Navy. I had to Google that too. Oh, the the little like diamond? No. Well, I don't, I... It's any of their hats. Like, you oh, know, okay. they, like they have the, the formal hat that has yes. the brim. So it's, it's called their cover. So she said, like the time I carried my cover through an airport and an old man asked me if it was a memento from my boyfriend. Or the time I attended a gala at a rival military academy in New York that will go unnamed. And I was talking to a male student from this other school when a mildly inebriated man came up to us. He asked the cadet what year he was he was in school and told me I must be a very proud girlfriend. I told him I'm a midshipman at the Naval Academy. He gasped and said, but you're so feminine. Jesus Christ. It's moments like these. I was not wholly frustrated. Actually, I admit it. I was somewhat eager to correct this man and all other people who might be surprised to learn that I wear the uniform. But now I scoff at my lack of humility because women have been wearing the uniform long before I put it on. I'm not a trailblazer. So surprise, while oddly flattering, is misplaced. Which I love that she says that. She's like, I want to correct them. But at the same time, it's like, you shouldn't be surprised. This isn't new. Yeah. Like, is this your first day? <laughs> right. So she goes on to mention other notable women trailblazers, uh, including the one Emily is covering. Um, she also mentions like her mom was in was a Marine, you know, like and she mentions all these other women. She mentions two specific Navy women that helped pave the way for her and her fellow female classmates. The two she mentions is Sharon Faulkner and Janie. It's Janie or Janie. I kind of went back and forth. I'm going to go with Janie because I'll remember that. J-A-N-I-E. J-A-N-I-E. N-I-E. I would say Janie. Janie. I think so. But I'm we'll also yeah. always wrong. Um, so I'm going di- to dive in depth into both of those. But I highly encourage everyone to go read Spencer's article. We'll definitely post a link to it. It's great. She also actually wrote an article about um, graduating the academy during COVID and how it's very different and how because usually it's a big thing when you graduate in the Navy, you you know, you all throw your caps and like they they do that in the Navy. And it's apparent it's a very big like rite of passage. It's and a so, huge like, accomplishment. She's talking about how like she's been cr- she cried over it because like it you don't get to do it. Yeah. Like and so it's I would read I would go and read both articles. So following Spencer's footsteps and my Google search, I dove <laughs> into women's veterans so that I could share their stories with you. Mother Google delivers again. <laughs> right. So the first woman I'm gonna cover is Shannon Faulkner. 
Uh, Faulkner was born in Powdersville, South Carolina, which I love that town name. That's an amazing name. Um, she graduated from Wren High School in 1993, and she became the first woman to attempt to to enter the Corps of Cadets at the Citadel. So the Citadel is a military academy in New York. Apparently, I didn't write down where it was. It sounds so intimidating. It does, doesn't it? Like, it, it sounds like the, the city from a dystopian novel. You are now entering the Citadel. <laughs> so it's the Citadel is called the Military College of South Carolina, commonly known as the Citadel. So it's in South Carolina. Way off. South Carolina. <laughs> Sorry, New York. It's on the same side of the country. Right? It's Spain. <laughs> um, so the big thing about her wanting to enter this is the Citadel had previously been a male-only admission policy. For no reason. Um, her application to the school was accompanied by her by her blanking out her gender on her high school transcripts because she really wanted to get in. She just got cool with the whiteout. Apparently. That's amazing. Shannon would go on to be able to get enrolled. Unfortunately, it was after a lawsuit. So it was Faulkner v. Jones et al. against the military academy. The suit alleged that the Citadel, which received state money, was quote, denying her equal protection under the Constitution. Her lawyer, Val Vojdik, I'm pretty sure it's Russian. This is not about them. Said, quote, we are seeking educational opportunity. We are seeking equal access to a public program that we pay for. And this is the 90s? This is the 90s. I, I always look Nin- back. 93, 94. Okay. I always look back on the 90s as a really uh, positive time because that's what, that's what I was growing we up. We were babies. We were children and everything was wonderful and it was nothing but rugrats and pillow forts. But even as recent as like 20 years ago, shit was fucked up. Oh, yeah. Like literally could not live in any time except maybe yeah. now, now or the future. <laughs> I mean, clearly this is within our lifetime. Like yeah. some of these women we cover were not. And this very, very much is. Yeah. So my next excerpt is from a book by Susan Faludi, which is called Stiffed, the American, the Betrayal of the American Man, which came out in 1999. And it's about Shannon's time at the Citadel, basically. Okay. So this is an excerpt from that book because I this sets the scene for what she was entering and I couldn't have done it better. So, quote, according to the Citadel Creed of the Cadet, Former student Michael Lake told me, women have no rights. They are objects. They are things that you can do with whatever you want to, end quote. Wait. That's the end quote by the cadet. So a a human being in the 90s said this. It doesn't get better. Here's the thing. I shouldn't be surprised, but it's still appalling. Yeah. To hear that, like no, our, our our military has been living in the dark ages for far too long. Yeah, they 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 have a hard time uh, progressing <laughs> unless they unless they really fucking need you exactly. And they really need bodies because women weren't al- uh, weren't encouraged to enter the military as much until they needed to free up yeah. spots for and the even, men to be well, in combat. And even then, women weren't allowed into combat until our life the nineties, I think. I want to say it was like the 2000s. It might have been early 2000s. It was late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah, it was definitely within our lifetime. Mm -hmm. Like, well within our lifetime. So anyways, so that's what the cadet said. It said, the only way to maintain such a worldview, of course, was to keep the campus free of women who might challenge it. The acknowledged explanation for this policy was that women were to be kept at a distance so they could be respected as ladies. 
Several months before the Citadel's courtroom defense of its all-male admissions policy, I was sitting in the less-than-Spartan air-conditioning quarters of senior regimental commander Norin... Norman, not Norin. Norman Doucet. He was explaining to me how excluding women had had enhanced his gentlemanly perception of the opposite sex. Quote, The absence of women makes us understand them better in an aesthetic kind of way. We appreciate them more because they are not here. I cannot fucking even. This is not some absence makes the heart grow fonder shit. Apparently that's what he's going for. Are you fucking serious? Yeah. I would appreciate men more if they would get the fuck out of my life. (laughs) Like what? So continuing on with the book, it says women who breached the Citadel's borders were, however, not appreciated. Newly arrived female faculty members reported receiving obscene phone calls as well as pornographic messages and drawings. One female professor wouldn't even put her nameplate on her office door because of the abuse she knew it would draw. When, When Jane Bishop, a professor of medieval history, posted on her door a photocopy of the New York Times editorial supporting co-edic education at the academy, she found it graffiti riddled in a matter of days. Dr. Bishop, one scribble read, you are a prime example of why women should not be allowed here. Another notation read, women will destroy the world. I'm sorry, what? Yep. Okay. Oh, I'm not even done the yet. The rest of the graffiti was just a bunch of poorly drawn dicks. Yeah, probably. Like on every desk you had in school. So creative. I'm not even done setting up the Citadel yet. That's the best part. I fucking hate this. So December Green joined the Citadel in 1988, the first woman uh, the political science department had ever hired for a tenure track position. She was 26 and attractive. Someone the cadets might fantasize about, a colleague recalled. Her colleague said that. She soon began getting obscene phone calls in the middle of the night. The obscenities like pussy and you fucking bitch began appearing on her office door. Though Green's work at the Citadel was highly praised, she even received an award for her teaching, research, and service. She left in 1992, so that's four years later, in despair over her inability to to contain the cadet's fury. A lot of terrible things happened to me, Green said who is now teaching in Ohio. The hostility ranged from glowering group stares in the hallway to death threats on the cadets' teacher evaluation forms. Green had to get an unlisted phone number and eventually moved moved out of, because they had like on how, you know, yeah. on-site base. So she moved out to escape the harassment. The male faculty and administration offered little support. The department chairman instructed her to be more maternal toward the students. A cadet even lodged a complaint after she challenged an essay he wrote praising the apartheid. Yep. When she submitted the written threats she received she received to the Dean of Undergraduate Studies, he took no action and his office lost them, she said. A professor who was a proponent of all ma- the all-male citadel stood by one day while his students heckled her out of his classroom window. You get what you provoke, another staff member told her. Oh my fucking god! If the cadets choose to use women as their whipping girls, their elders made it abundantly clear that they would not stand in their way. So, And that- then these people get to go all over the world yeah, serving I our know. country and representing the United States of America. Jesus and I'm not Christ. trying to make the Navy look bad. No, this is no. just what Shannon was entering in. Well, he- here's the thing. This is systematic because it's not yes. just the students being a bunch of assholes. It's the administration allowing not it. just allowing it, but encouraging exactly. it. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? I also love how the me- how the, the, the 
men in this story yeah. started out being like, well, you know, it, it's about respect. And I respect women more when they're not they're around. Not yeah, well, because terrible. you're because they're not around for you to disrespect them. Like, don't tell me it's about respect when you're sending death threats to people. Right. You it's fucking terrible. bastards. No, yeah, it's bad. So. So she sued to get into this school. Yeah. Bless her heart. So <laughs> Shannon was was allowed to attend classes at first as a day student starting in January of 1994, but was not allowed to live on campus or wear the uniform. On campus, she was called Mrs. Doubt Gender and faced other slurs from candidates because it was a whole like, oh, you think you're a man, blah, blah, blah. You know. Oh, so then we have to bring like. Yeah. Yeah. Very mis- stupid. We have to bring like transphobia into this when it's not even about a trans. Like what? It gets, it gets worse because like the whole state of South Carolina starts joining in. It's oh real my bad. God. Uh, so le- by later in 1994, bumper stickers appeared on cars in South Carolina that read shave Sharon in an attempt to humiliate or Shannon in an attempt to humiliate her. In August of 1994, the judge finally ordered or or not. Sorry. This is the bad one, not the good one. In August of 1994, a judge ordered that she did have to shave her head as a, as the male Citadel students had to shave their head every year when they started. So they made her shave her head. Jesus Christ. In 1995, a year later, t-shirts started appearing in Charleston, South Carolina, reading 1,952 Bulldogs and one bitch because it's the Citadel Bulldogs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then in July of 1995... The federal judge, Weston Hauk, they toured a women's college that the state of South Carolina wanted to set up as like an alternative place for women, which is stupid. Wait, like for like military women. Like, oh, they were just like, we'll so give seg- them their own school. Segregate. Oh, because we can't handle women being here. Right. So they need their own school. So the judge and Shannon toured that. And then later that same month, the judge was like, no, she can be fully admitted to the Citadel. Awesome. So he ruled in her favor and the Citadel planned to appeal the decision, but the it held up in the Supreme Court and they ruled that she must be allowed to be fully admitted as well. Yeah. Unless you want to get rid of all that state funding. Right. During that over a year that she was fighting in courts, she often endured taunts and death threats. She was called Shrew Shannon by the newspaper on campus and the president of the Citadel at the time Dis- like saw the article obviously and dismissed it as satire shut the fuck up so she went on to get fully admitted into the citadel with an otherwise all male corps of cadets on august 15 1995 under the escort of the united states marshal so on her first day she was escorted by the u.s marshals this reminds me so much of like when they were trying to se- uh, desegregate schools, right? Particularly in the South, and then like the National Guard had to come out and escort children to school. It was terrible. I remember oh watching God. videos of that, and I was yeah. like, "Yeah, that's terrible." But then, then there was that one like mayor who called the National Guard to keep the kids out of school. Yeah, and he's I mean, like, "No, no, it was there's, for their own protection." There's always <laughs> terrible people. Yeah. So after only four hours of initial training, she suffered from heat stress. She was she was not the only one. She was one of five cadets to become ill. Okay. She spent the remainder of her first week in the infirmary before voluntarily resigning, citing emotional and psychological abuse and physical exhaustion. Yeah, it's like they set so her she, up for she, failure. Because she was she's a day been... student for a year and then got in. Yeah. 
and then ended only lasted like a week. After her departure, the male cadets openly celebrated on campus. She would go on to tell Oprah Winfrey on her show that she had gained weight during the court trials due to stress she was facing. And Diana Nayad, who was like a reporter at the time, would criticize Shannon for gaining the weight and not being fully prepared for training. Oh, Diana, come Here's on. a side note. She was one of 30 cadets to drop out. So it wasn't even just her. Yeah, it's not like, oh, well, the one woman dropped out, you know? Right. Two decades later, in 2012, so recently, because she's still alive, um, Shannon would go on to be interviewed by the Post and Courier newspaper and would talk about what what made her leave so abruptly. It specifically was threats to kill her parents by a person present when she entered. Like, so she knew it was like a fellow core member in her group. So he threatened that and then her parents' house was vandalized and like all this stuff happened. And so she told them that I went in knowing I may not get anything out of it and I was doing it for the next woman. Like, that's what she said. She's like, I kind of knew, you know, that I might not make it through, but it'll help pave the path for other women. Oh, honey. Well, you know, it it sucks because everyone's bitching about, you know, well, she dropped out and she gained weight. Well, you know what? People, this is trauma. People are threatening to murder you and your family. They're vandalizing your parents' house. Like, these aren't empty threats. And these are your classmates. These are people you're around all fucking day. And even the administration wants you dead. Exactly. Like, I would start gaining weight, too. Like, you don't get to judge how someone copes with trauma. Right. So writer Pat Conroy, who I actually don't know who he is, but he actually would, he went on to pay for all of Shannon's education after she left the Citadel. Like, he felt so bad about what happened to her. Um, And so she ended up becoming a middle school teacher in South Carolina, which is great. Um, she actually, was super prepared because yeah. she could endure all that shit. She can handle she middle is, schoolers. She is act- as of 2018, she is still an English teacher in Greenville, South Carolina, and and in 2018 at least was pursuing a graduate degree, which is cool. Awesome. Um, so more information about the Citadel and how far they've come since this. In August of 1996, four women were admitted to the Citadel, so that just a year later. Wow. Um, however, the cadets would reenact this battle of kind of trying to get these women out, and two of the young women withdrew after the, the cadets sprayed kitchen cleaner and deodorant spray into their mouths and then doused one sweatshirt and nail polish and set her on fire. I wish this was a video episode because I am making yeah, the no. most insane I, When faces. I read that, I actually, like, I paused in my research and then went on to read that, like, five or six more times. They set someone on fire. Yeah, by dousing her in nail polish. Remover. Nail polish remover. I, I was going to say, I, like, it, immediately in my head, I was like, it must have been, like, the acetone. Acetone, yeah. Oh, my So that was 1996. God. By December of 2009... The Citadel has graduated 205 female cadets since Shannon's admission. Wow. In March of 2018, Shannon actually went on to return to the Citadel as a speaker about Pat Conroy, the guy that went to, like, that he, like, paid went her to all her stuff. Her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So her statement, she, she went on to say that she wouldn't criticize the school and does consider herself an alumni which actually drew a little bit of ire from Nancy Mace, who was the act- who was the true first woman to actually graduate from the Citadel. Okay. So she was a little bit mad that she was like, you know, 
you lasted a week. Can you really consider yourself an alumni? And I kind of agree. Like, I don't know. It's a weird thing. Like, because alumni technically means you graduated. I I get it. I but at the same time, it was his super historic. Like, it's it's a weird gray area because it's like what she did made it so that the other woman could graduate. It, it seems like an unnecessary mincing of words because right. it, I don't think it takes away from, did you say Nancy was the first woman yep. to graduate? I don't think it takes away from Nancy's accomplishment to acknowledge that Shannon was also a member of the school. And exactly. I, I, I Honestly, who can say if this was a perfect environment where she wasn't being threatened with death every exactly. fucking day, who knows if she would have graduated? She definitely would have had a better chance of doing it. But I I think it, I, I think it's kind of admirable that she's like, no, I still feel a part of this community. Right, exactly. Because she fought so hard to get in there. And honestly, everyone after her, like she busted the doors down. Exactly. So I, I think this is a really great opportunity for two women to build each other up. And it feels like mincing words. I... It's not I me, do. though. I get it. No, everyone's and I'm kind, kind of, of on the same board, which I debated yeah. not including it. So originally I had, what did I say? What was Because my... everyone's entitled to feel how they feel. Right. But. Oh, so I said by December of 2000. So by 2009, they had graduated 205 from 1996 on. Yeah. 205. So by 1990. No, actually by 2019. 590 women total have graduated. So, I mean, that they over doubled the amount. I was going to say, it's like the um, floodgates and, and just And the open. 2020 numbers aren't finalized. That's only through right. 2019. And someone who works with, like, Navy numbers on graduate schools said, the number is impressive considering about 900 women apply to the U.S. military schools each year. Not just the Citadel. Schools in general. He said, quote, engaging them is a competitive process that we successfully approach with strategy and fervor. So, like, they're actively pursuing getting women into the Navy now. So right. that's good. If you're ignoring, you know, 50 some percent of the population, how can you how can you say you have the best and the brightest if you're immediately excluding 50 percent? Right. Actually, more than that, because there have been issues with like, oh, do transgender people get exactly. to be in the military? Exactly. It's like a whole like, another thing. When why, you would you, yeah. why would you, why would you, not to put it so uh, ineloquently, but why would you waste resources? People are your resources. They right? are what drives the military. Why would you just be like, fuck you? Exactly. It's, it's like, I don't um, understand it. It's like in economics where it's like, oh, I don't want money from a black person. It's like, I'm sorry. Is their money not valid? Right. I'm sorry. Money is money. <laughs> yeah. Fuck off. God, that is... I can't believe how recent that was. Oh, yeah. Yep. So my second woman is Janie Mines. So Janie was... This is a little bit further back, and I probably should have done this one first, but I did it in the order I did it. So this is Kelly's choice. This is her story. She is taking control. I mean, and they're slightly different. Like, what they did was slightly different. So Janie was born in 1958 in Aiken, South Carolina. So we're back in South Carolina. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. We never left. <laughs> So she was the daughter of Daisy Shepherd Mines and Reverend William Mines, who was a Baptist minister, and she had a younger sister named Gwen. Oh, that's my mom's name. Right. Was it one N or two? One. 
Oh, so she spells it the the traditional way. Yeah, not the way my mom spells oh. it, and that everyone misspells. Yeah, <laughs> it's like my name. Anyways, she would go on to graduate from Aiken High School in 1976, where she was a member of the Navy Junior Reserves Officer Training Corps, or the JROTC unit. So, like, she was already getting into it. Yeah. She, she's prepping. She was also a National Honor Society student and her graduating class salutatorian. Salutatorian. That's a weird. I'm assuming it's like the valedictorian. Salutatorian. S-A-L-U-T-A-T-O-R-I-A-N. Because it sounds like salutatorian. Like salutatorian. 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 That's a weird word. We're going to say this word for the next 10 minutes until it sounds even more wrong. So some people have questioned why would she want to attend the Naval Academy when she had been accepted by every Ivy League school that she had applied to, as well as an ROTC program at the University of Berkeley in California. So like she had all of these options. Why would she like basically narrow her field specifically to a Naval Academy? I'm going to tell you right now they would have never asked that question of a man because they would have been like, God, he's so patriotic wanting to serve his country. So the Academy was a personal calling, she said. When the Academy called and said I would be the only black woman who would be admitted, I felt it was something I had to do. Charter freshman class in 1976 included only 81 women. That's more than I thought for 1976. Um, Which was about 10% of the freshman class. In 2019... 39 years later, the class has grown to about 28% women graduates, Okay, um, according to the Navy. So, Janie was the first and only African-American woman to enter the Naval Academy in the ni- 1976. So, she was the first overall, and she was the only um, African-American woman. in her class. She would say, quote, the Academy wasn't ready for women. It just happened quickly, and it needed to be done. The academy considered itself to be a combat school, and women were not allowed to serve in combat. So we were seen as taking up spots for good combat officers that were needed because we couldn't do the job. Additionally, there was a general belief that as a black woman, I would not be able to lead in what was at the time a white male Navy. You know what that reminds me of uh, when we cover Dr. Francis Kelsey, who is the reason that the litamide didn't kill all of us in utero so it was the attitude of the time that if a woman has a job well you're taking a job away from a man who's trying to feed his family you're selfish for being a woman who wants a job and it's the same concept because it makes women reliant on men and it's like guys do you really want to take care of us all the fucking time i don't think you do you won't even go shopping with us damn it you don't want to hold my purse come on you don't want to help me pick out sheets and curtains i'm Literally, literally going to pick out flooring for my upstairs because, yes, that is still a thing in my life. And I asked I asked Jared because, one, he has anxiety and, two, he super doesn't care. And I was like, Jared, do you care if I just bring my mom with me? Like, do you care enough? He goes, I super don't fucking care. So I'm going to go floor shopping with my mom. That actually sounds right. Because she cares. (laughs) Right. She'll give you her honest opinion. Yes. Um. So not only was she the first black woman in the Navy, but at this time, the Navy was dealing with its own kind of set of issues, um, particularly with recruiting and retaining African-Americans in general. So this is men and women. Yes. Because there were highly publicized racial riots within the last few years. So the Navy was still kind of dealing with the fallout of that. 
And it, these race riots that had recently happened had shown that the Navy was not particularly inclusive to minorities. Actually, law enforcement nowadays is facing the same issue. They're having a really hard time. Which is interesting. Like it's like it's like twenty as recruits. Or, what did I say? Thirty-eight years in the future, the mili- our our civilian military, aka the police, is now going through what our state mil or our federal mil- military went through forty yeah. years ago, basically. Yeah. Which should have happened way long ago. Anyways, so like the Navy was having all these problems anyways with her not being a woman. But Janie was not deterred by this, though she would go on to recall, quote, it was challenging and lonely at times. I had to deal with difficult situations. It made me a better person. And I'm hoping I helped make the Naval Academy a better place. Aww. I love she she seems to have the sense of purpose and she seems to be aware of the importance of what she's doing without, like, I don't know, grandstanding about it. Right. You know? Yeah. So she would go on to recount her years at the military academy and, quote, they called me the double insult because I was both black and a female. Oh, God, because we haven't encountered that before. Right. (laughs) I didn't expect the level of determination. I never hated the Naval Academy or the other students. I understood what they were doing and why they were doing it. In a lot of the articles I found, she didn't really talk about what she went through, but I can only imagine based on what Shannon went through, and that was a few years after. Yeah, twenty some years later, uh, and this is this but, is in the seventies, so this is not long oh, yeah, after exactly desegregation. Like, this is real recent. shit is raw and it is fresh. And Janie does did write a book. Unfortunately, I wasn't you know not able to read it, but it is on my to be read list. And where she does go on to actually like in detail recount like things that happened to her. Um, oh, but God. she did say, quote, they they came they come together as a unit to fix something that they think is fundamentally wrong and not good for the mission of the Navy or the country. That's what they saw me as. Basically, they saw her like as this issue, you know, I'm kind of amazed at how empathetic she seems oh, yeah. to be to, by what they're she like doing. fully understands. She's like, no, nah, I get it. And I'm like, really? Honestly, I, I feel like. I feel like if you're a victim of discrimination or or abuse or that kind of thing, because you grow up with it, you understand like, oh, I get why you're doing it. That doesn't mean it's okay or it makes no. any fucking sense. And I don't sense. think she's saying that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's no, she's saying, not excusing she's it. She's just saying I don't hold it against them because that's how they were raised. She probably kind of understands it better than they exactly. do, honestly. So she never let that deter her. Any, any hardship she faced, she didn't let it deter her because while at the academy... She became a member of the fencing team, a squad leader, a midshipman drill officer, and a regimental adjunctant. So, like, she went, she was like, screw you guys. I'm just going to do what I do. She's excelling in spite of them. She's reported to have found the whole experience at the Naval Academy hard and disillusioning, but valuable in learning how to deal with and make progress within the system that she would be dealing with. Bless She's her like, heart because right. she is handling this way better than I ever could. Right. So she would go on to continue to prove her leadership and intelligence. And what what's kind of cool is the following year, Gwen, her sister, actually also got accepted into the Naval Academy and oh, followed Gwen! in her sister's footsteps. Oh, my God. Right? So she's seeing the impact within her own family. Yeah. That's so sweet. Um, Janie would last through training and go on to graduate in the class of 1980, becoming the first African-American woman to graduate from the Academy. Her sister, Gwen, would graduate the following year. Oh, my God. That's the sweetest right? thing. She graduated. So... 
Janie graduated with a rank of ensign or ensign and a BS in general engineering. So she like, she, she got her crap done. <laughs> I was going to say something else and then it kind of went out of my mind. Anyways, um, unfortunately, a knee injury in 1978 ended her, her plans to join the Marines. So she had intended to get her Navy, you know, um, her Navy credentials and then and go then to go the, the Marines, Marines, which is actually wow. fairly common. I didn't know that. I, I thought it was kind of like you pick you, one branch and you stay with it. Yeah. And then it's almost like rival football teams. I think like, I feel oh, like you're in the Navy. I feel like that's more Marines. of a thing now. But I mean, you think the Marines are is kind of a combination. Like it's like the Army and the Navy and then the Marines is somewhere in the middle. That's yeah. at least that's how I envision it. I've, I've heard I've heard like um Jared and his brother Joe, because Jared was in the Army Reserves and his brother was actually in the Navy. Uh, shout out to the Navy, <laughs> which is basically this entire right? episode. Yeah, it is. Um, but but they 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 talk about like the jokes about like oh well you know what they say about the Army you know what they right. say about the I don't remember. Well, I now. remember when Andrew, one of my husband's brothers, like he was in the Air Force. Yeah, and you know they were like oh it's the Chair Force and. The Air Force got so sick of the other branches of the military calling them that, that the Air Force now has the the strictest, because um, every year you have to pass physical, the Air Force now has the strictest physical because of that. That is fucking Because they're wild. like, no, screw you guys. Oh, oh okay. I, I get it. They're saying like, oh, you, all you do is sit around. Yeah. They're saying all, all you do is sit around and fly planes. And they're like, no, screw you. I literally, Jared just showed me a video of, uh, I think this was during desert storm it was a video of someone dodging like six uh land to air missiles and it like it it's from the perspective of the pilot so it's like their sight and so it's hard to make out details but you hear you know the people over the communications and you hear the pilot and it's so fucking stressful like he made it obviously they have the video but i was like oh my god so like the idea of like the air force kind of being called the bitch of everyone i'm like are you fucking kidding me because if you fall if okay say you're on the ocean you have the ocean to fall into if you're on land you're on land if you're in the air you're what? Just, just, what do you hang Whatever's on to? below you. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. Submarines and airplanes. Like, I, if I was in the military, those are probably the two things I could not do. Wanted, Even ships stress me I out. I wanted to be part of the Airborne, which is um, the parachuting brigade in the military. Uh, I remember, because even when they let women join combat... Originally, they wouldn't let women be on the front lines. They were like, okay, fine, you can join combat, but you can't be on the front lines. And so, like, women weren't allowed to be in the airborne units, which, like, I was like, damn, because that's what I would want to do. But apparently, there's about 9% currently of the uh, airborne, of it's 18,000 paratroopers, or no, more than 18,000 paratroopers are women, which is about 9%. Wow. 18,000 sounds like such a big number, but then you put it in perspective of the total number, like, oh, it's only 9%. Are you fucking serious? So back to Jane. (laughs) So she had a knee injury, prevented her from going into the Marines. However, she would still have a long military career. She would serve as a supply corps officer. She would hold several logistical positions, such as um, being a Navy annex 
person. I don't, it didn't go on to say what she did that, but that's part of the Pentagon. So oh. I'm sure it's, uh, they probably can't tell you what she did there. <laughs> well, they could, but then they'd have to yeah. kill you. <laughs> uh, she also served aboard the USS Emery S. Land. So she was on a ship. Um, she held man- various management positions, including warehouse manager, logistics manager, finance manager, procurement man. Basically, she was always in charge of people. That's so crazy. Um, she would actually go on to serve as the senior vice president of strategic sourcing before she left the military. I thought you were going to say strategic sorcery. <laughs> and no. I'm like, oh, tell me um, more. But it's it's a lot of negotiating of like real estate services regarding the military, personnel services. And basically, it, it said that she was responsible for over $2 billion in funds. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Janie, honey. So Janie did leave the Navy. Um, she would go on to earn a bastard's Bastards. <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> Let's repeat that. Janie would go on to leave the Navy to earn a Master's of Business Administration from MIT. Like, so she, she didn't go quietly. She's not just like, oh, I'm just going to go, you know, earn my master's. No, she went to MIT. And well, granted, she was, she did have like the red carpet rolled out for her for a number of Ivy League schools. Right. So she, and she didn't kind of sit quietly and just take some some old position either she would actually go on to work at Procter and Gamble and Hershey Foods and Bank of America so like she kind of hit all the big names she was also part of the Defense Advisory Committee on Women in the Services which is its acronym is Dakowitz, which I'm like, uh, I feel like it's just easier to say the whole title. Yeah. But sh- she has been and is still currently a management consultant for them. I-, I love that these two women are still alive. Right? Like everyone, almost everyone we cover is dead. I know. Long gone. So, but this is yeah. awesome. Plus, like I said, Janie is a published author. She wrote a book about her experience, which is called No Coincidences, Reflections of the First Black Female Graduate of the United States Naval Academy. Oh, I want to read that. Yeah, it's on my to-be-read uh, book. She's also read uh, numerous awards, both for her book and just in general. And she continues to talk about positively impacting the lives of midshipmen and naval officers um, through mentorship and ongoing support. So she's still very much, even though she's not working actively in the Navy, she's still very much like, no, like, let's support one another. And it's men and women. Like, yeah. she's just like everyone. So regarding her feat of being the first graduating African-American woman, she said, quote, I think that I'm somebody who's just trying to do the best they can in life as it relates to my fellow man and the things that God has to has for me to do. If that means I'm the first or the millionth to do it, I don't think about it one way or the other. End quote. That reminds me of uh, Junko Tabe, yeah. the first woman to summit Mount Everest. She's like, I like to think of myself as the fourth person. Right. Not the first woman. Here's the thing, though. It's so significant because it really does pave the way for everyone else. Every everyone who does it, it's a little bit easier. Just even if it's just a skosh, you multiply that by all the women, all the women of color going into the military. It that doesn't mean we don't have to actively work to make sure that all of our veterans are safe and that any misconduct is address and people are held accountable so if you're wondering where janie is now she currently owns her own management consulting firm 
called Common Sense Business Solutions uh, in South Carolina. It focuses on quality and productivity. She's very much like still doing stuff. She runs her own company. She did, uh, in 2002, she was the torchbearer of the Olympic um, torch. Oh my God. Was that uh, when it was in Salt Lake City? Yes. Oh my God. I remember they had Barbies that were Olympic themed yeah. because like, oh, the United States, the Olympics. Was, and I got a, I got a little one. It was like, Oh, but what did they call like the toddler ones? I don't remember. The they had different names because each, depending on their hair it was, color, it, they each had their own name. No, no, no. But the, there was Barbie and then there was like her, her not Skipper because Skipper's like the younger sister who's like an Allison. But then there's the one that looks like a toddler. But they had one of her who was like a snowboarder. And I thought snowboarding yeah. was so no, but, cool. But I'm <laughs> saying like, because they had like the the blonde one. Yeah. But then the redhead had a different name and the brunette had a different name. And, yeah. You yeah. Know, that's what I was there's, saying. there's Barbie. Exactly. And and others, and but I, I know Barbie Skipper is the like younger sister and I don't rem- is it Kelly? Yeah, it is was, the baby. It was Kelly. Okay. I only know that because it was my name and it was blonde. That's right. Why um, are what how did this happen? But no, that that's super first of all, yeah. that's super fucking cool and it just brought back like I remember when that happened. <laughs> she was also honored with a Navy for, or by the Navy with a business achievement award in 2010 and then there's also a Navy video called Courage that it's about her. So it's like the Navy's documentary about her. Yeah. That's awesome. So those are those are my Three women, essentially, because I talked about Spencer as well. You go, Spencer. Holy crap. No, seriously. And here's the really cool thing. You may not have heard about these women had it not been for Spencer's article. Yeah, right. And it's like this whole. All of these other people know about these women because of Spencer. You did something wonderful here today. And I hope she's still listening and she's not like these bitches are idiots. Right. (laughs) I did want to point out that this year, so like 2020, recently, 2020, midshipmen. Midshipman First Class Sydney Barber will become the U.S. Naval Academy's first black female brigade commander. Wow. So 175 years of the Annapolis Naval Academy. And this is the first black midshipman, first female midshipman. Or what? Wait, hold on. No, to be a brigade commander. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's six stripes, and she will lead 4,500 midshipmen until she graduates. Oh, my God. Yeah, isn't that amazing? Oh, that's almost as my emails as I have in my inbox. <laughs> that's incredible. And, you know, I hear this a lot where it's like, oh, that happened so long ago. Why are we still talking about it? Or why are we still feeling bad about it or whatever? Right. It's like, well, okay, maybe that happened 400 years ago. How far have we come? So yeah, she, have we come first, 400 first years black worth? female brigade commander. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. But yeah, it's like, okay, well, what have we done that 400 years? Have we made the kind of progress that we think we should? No, because it didn't just end, you know, like uh, slavery is the one I always hear. It's like, well, get over it. It's like, okay, well, slavery didn't just end and everyone got over it and everyone was equal all of a sudden. There was clawing and scratching forward to the point where we even had, you know, the civil rights movement in the 60s and my phone just fell off and it's Jeez, fine. The crap and desegregation. Me. And and uh, it's funny. I was rewatching uh, Home Improvement like, I don't know, a year ago. And I remember growing up and seeing that show and not thinking much of it. But every time I saw a black actor on the show, I was like, God, it's only been 30 years from when this episode came out 
actually probably less that you know desegregation happened and the civil rights movement right this this actor probably remembers what was going on at that time or was alive during that time time it's insane and and, and as a child in the 90s the whole idea of like Martin Luther King Jr. was was oh that was a million years ago that was forever ago it wasn't it really wasn't that long ago progress yeah, no, is slow it is unfortunately and we and we need to keep striving for it otherwise it's not going to happen and that's the really amazing thing about was it Shannon yep she busted it down it took a lawsuit to get a woman into that school and whether it was Shannon or someone else someone was going to have to sue that fucking school right it's like that's the only way it was going to happen like and unfortunately sometimes that's how progress is it's, I it, wouldn't it, sue it's, a school it's, it's to a, get in it's a kicking down the door <laughs> yeah and barging in because that's the only way it's going to happen. And it wouldn't have to be that way if we just all woke the fuck up and, like, acknowledged it. That was in the 90s. God. Yeah, that was bad. Those were some really amazing stories. So, Kelly, thank you so much for sharing them. And, Spencer, congratulations on graduating. I really feel for you because I can't imagine, like, not getting the whole brouhaha of graduating during COVID. Right. Like, high schoolers, college graduates, Military graduates, everyone, that sucks because that just seems like something that's guaranteed in your life. It, it you does. Know, like, and it's the something tossing you, of the cast. Well, it's something you look forward to that you're like, okay, this signifies, you know, the end of whatever transitory period you're going through in your life and you don't get that. Yeah. So, Spencer, best of luck in all of your future pursuits. Yeah. Uh, Thank you to the women who broke down the fucking doors. Good God. And Thank maybe you for one sharing day stories. Spencer will come on and talk to us. Actually, she said she would, but she's I obviously a little bit busy that. right now. I would love that because I, like I said, you sent me the article and I read it today and I was I like, know, it was so good. I felt like such a bad feminist. I was like, honey, I feel I you. Feel you. <laughs> I feel like right a bad feminist you. constantly. <laughs> right. Oh, that's amazing. I love the journey you took. Yeah, that was my goal to send everyone on a journey. <laughs> a journey of anger and really ugly facial reactions. Yeah, it was beautiful, though. Brooke, name three men from history off the top of your head. Uh, Washington, Adams, Jefferson. Okay, now name three women. Uh, um, Tubman, Anthony, um, uh, Roosevelt. Eleanor. Okay. It took you longer to name the women. Okay. <laughs> Harsh, but yes. <laughs> One of the biggest reasons that this happens is that there's consistency in the K-12 curriculum on which men need to be taught, and there is no consistency on women. Okay, I don't feel so bad. I'm Kelsey Eckert. I'm a high school history teacher. And I'm Brooke Sullivan, a girl who missed out on a lot of important ladies in school. And together we're creating tools to get women's history in the K-12 classroom. Our podcast, Remedial History, comes out every Monday. Kelsey teaches me a lesson that should be a staple in every curriculum. We're talking themes and important women, and Kelsey tells me the main reasons why these women are skipped over in school. Each week on our website, www.remedialhistory.com, I post an inquiry-based lesson plan for teachers based on our episode, and we found every other lesson plan of worth that's out there and linked them for you. Check it out. You can find Remedial History anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, well, uh, 
in going on with our kismet of this episode uh, i am actually covering one of the women that spencer mentioned in her article today i'm covering grace hopper who uh so i've been wanting to cover grace for a while but honestly the subject matter is not my strong suit so i put it off however i I almost covered her because the subject matter is more in my wheelhouse than it is in emily's definitely uh but kelly's women of science puzzle that she got the minnesota science museum that is complete by the way yes uh inspired me to finally cover computer gene gene God damn me. Genius. Genius Grace Hopper. Hopper, not Harper. I feel like I did a weird accent there. Um, All right. Well, now that I've successfully stumbled gracefully into this story, Grace Hopper was born in New York City on December 9th, 1906, as the eldest of three children. So now we're in New York City. (laughs) We finally finally got there. Grace's defining trait, even as a child, was curiosity. When she was only seven years old, she wanted to know how an alarm clock worked. So she began dismantling alarm clocks on her quest to unlock the secrets they held. I love that. She got through seven before her mother realized what was happening. (laughs) Did I? Okay, quick story time. When I was like, I don't remember this, but I was like maybe three years old or something, my... Uh, my family was visiting my grandparents who lived in New York State. Okay. And my mom looked in her wallet and she realized a ton of her credit cards were missing. What? And she's like, oh my God, I've been robbed or pay- like I lost Something them. happened, yeah. But then she realized they, they were all for stores that weren't in New York State. They were all like Illinois specific because that's where we were living. Yeah. And she's like, what the fuck is going on? And then she hears a giggle and a flush and she goes to the bathroom where I'm standing above a freshly flushed toilet and she's like, Emily, what are you doing? And I just stare at her. And so my mom basically put together, I took her credit cards and flushed them down the toilet because she never found them. Ever. (laughs) Like, they were gone. I was three. Give me a break. I was like two or three. Okay. I, I mean, at least they were all like store credit cards. I was concerned like about her spending. Card, you know? <laughs> I was very fiscally responsible as a child. <laughs> but that reminds me of one of those things. Like I was just very curious about how the toilet worked and how apparently credit yeah. card shaped things went down the toilet. Like that's super funny. I was a tiny grace. <laughs> So not wanting to to dissuade Grace's curiosity, but also not wanting to lose any more alarm clocks, her mother limited Grace to only one alarm clock to experiment with. That's that's like some pretty sweet parenting. Grace was incredibly intelligent. At 16 years old, she applied for early admission to Vassar College, but was rejected because her test scores in Latin were too low. Like, of all fucking things. Just Latin. Oh, I'm sorry. I suck at this dead language. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I was going to be like, yeah, dead language. I'm sure she didn't even suck. They were just like, too low for Vassar. Right. But she was accepted the following year. And for that year, she spoke only Latin and everyone was very confused. Exactly. <laughs> she graduated in 1928 with a bachelor's degree in math and physics. Already crazy impressive. She was also a Phi Beta Kappa while in school. So apparently this is the oldest academic honor society in the United States and one of the most prestigious ones. Yeah. Past members include Booker T. Washington, Gloria Steinem and Barack Obama Sr., 
So Barack Obama, President Obama's dad. He may have been in there too. It was a long list. And I just picked like the top three that You were like, I know this person, this person, and this person. Good. Also, there's a ton of presidents on there. Oh, I'm sure. Teddy Roosevelt's on there. It's crazy. After Vassar, Grace went on to Yale to earn her master's in 1930 and her PhD in mathematics. In 1931, she began teaching math at Vassar and became an associate professor in 1941. And longtime listeners know that I equate math with magic. So she's a wizard. You're a wizard, Grace. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, that was great. Now, we don't usually associate this period in time with the advancement of women, but the number of women receiving doctorates actually spiked through the 20s and 30s. Yeah, it was kind of insane. I didn't know that. So the number seen during this time wouldn't be matched again until the 1980s, which like I I think of the 70s as like the period of women's lib and then the 80s is kind of when we're reaping the rewards of that. So this idea that like 20s and 30s, like we were at 80s level of women's achievement, like it's crazy. So Grace was getting her education during like a really exciting time in American history. She did marry Vincent Foster Hopper, a professor at New York University. The couple was married from 1930 until 1945 when they divorced. So this is where the Hopper and Grace's name comes from, which is why I included it because it's a real big part of the story. Now... While Grace was killing it as a professor at Vassar, the world was at war. Again. While the United States entered World War II, Grace tried to enlist in the Navy. She may have been inspired into military service because her great-grandfather was an admir... I almost said admirable. Ad... Admirable Admiral in the U.S. Navy having fought in the Battle of Mobile Bay uh, during the American Civil War. Mobile. Mobile. It's probably Mobile. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I love you. Come at me, mobile. (laughs) However, Grace was rejected, and the Navy had several reasons for this. One, she was too old to enlist at 34 years old. And, like, here's the thing. I'm sure in the military age has a very different connotation. It does. um, Considering you can enlist when you're 18 years old. But still, like, I feel like women have have this weird association with their ages and like oh if you're 30 you're already fucking old and that's a historical thing so that made me roll my eyes uh two her weight to height ratio was too low and if you see pictures of her she is a tiny woman yeah she She, is she reminds me of my grandma jean because my grandma jean was actually like just a little bit shorter than me and i'm like five one and she literally got knocked over by the wind and like severely fucked up her leg. Like she had she oh, no. the the nuns from the Catholic school I had gone to as a child who were down the street had to come and take care of her because the wind knocked her to the fucking ground while she was trying to get the mail. She was like seriously maybe 90 pounds soaking wet. That she still lived to be 95 and yeah, entirely independent like the whole time. So Uh, Number three, her work as a math professor at Vassar was considered valuable to the war effort in of itself. Wow. So they're like, "Mm, just keep doing what you're doing. I'm not going to say her gender didn't have an effect on their decision, but that wasn't one of the like official reasons. Of course not. But Grace was not done. In 1943, she got a leave of absence from Vassar and joined the United States Navy Reserve, also known as WAVES, which was the women's reserve. So this was like a women-specific 
unit. And actually, That's cool. uh, sh- not too long before the United States entered World War II, the government had rejected a bill that would allow women into military service or expanded military service or something like that. Okay. But then when we actually entered the war, they were like, well, God, we need to fill, fill like open up a lot of these jobs so that the men can be in the combat roles. So basically, we need to free up men to be on the front lines and on the ground. So we're going to let women take some of these roles. Interesting. Yeah. So uh, this was only after she received special permission to enlist because she was 15 pounds below the Navy's 120 pound minimum weight. So she only weighed like just barely over 100 pounds, 105. And she was very tiny. Oh, so Grace trained at the Naval Reserve Midshipman School at Smith College in Massachusetts, graduating first in her class in 1944. She's a genius. Fuck yeah. Uh, she's also a very hard worker. I don't want to take that away from her. She was assigned to the Bureau of Ships Computation Project at Harvard. She was a lieutenant junior grade working on the Mark I computer, which was an IBM computer used for general purposes and one of the first electromechanical computers like ever in general. Yeah. This thing was huge and took instructions from punched paper tape. God, we have come so far. Grace was one of three computer programmers when this was still a budding field in general uh, and worked on programming the Mark I. This required punching instructions onto strips of tape and then which were then fed into the computer. So instead of like typing something, you like it's almost like braille punched out. Yeah. So like the patterns of the holes dictate what goes into the computer and how the computer reads it, which honestly is almost like. Maybe it's because I've grown up with technology. But I'm like, that's almost more impressive than what my laptop does. <laughs> like, right? A little bit. The idea bit. it can read physically punched holes and know what that means. It's, it's, it is crazy. She wrote a 561-page user manual for the Mark One. Jeez. My brain hurts just thinking People about it. People won't read like 10-page user manuals. It's funny because I, I write instructions for clients on how to uh, do something to their website or how to do something technical all them. the time. Well, here's the thing. Even if it's three steps, like I try to be very clear. I include screenshots to like illustrate what I'm talking about. And sometimes that's like almost cognitively exhausting because you have to anticipate how like because I know how it works. Because I use it all the time. So I have to anticipate the kind of things that someone might run into. Can you imagine doing that for a computer that scarcely anyone has ever worked with and writing 561 pages on how to use it? Could not, would not, will not. You're funny. The department was headed by Howard H. Aiken, a computer pioneer and creator of the Mark I. Grace and Howard must have gotten along pretty well because they co-authored three papers about the Mark I. So, like, this wasn't just a tool they were using. This was, like, this technology was pioneering and they needed to document it. Yeah. So there's that, like, added importance. As part of her work with the Navy, Grace worked on top secret calculations, including rocket trajectories, creating range tables for anti-aircraft guns, and calibrating minesweepers. Herstory head cannon. Grace invented the game Minesweeper and is literally the only one who knows how to play it. Because seriously, does anyone know how to play Minesweeper? I remember trying to figure it out as a kid. I taught myself how to play Solitaire. I know how to play Minesweeper. I don't know I'm how to play Minesweeper. I'm not good at it, but I know how to do <laughs> it. I don't understand it. 
So Grace even ran, uh, ran numbers which were used in developing the atomic bomb dropped on Nagasaki. So, like, regardless of what you feel about that, she's doing some, like, really intense shit. So she kept serving in the Navy Reserve, researching engineering sciences and applied physics, even turning down a full professorship at Vassar. During this time, she helped to develop the Mark II and Mark III computers. And as Apple has taught us, the bigger the number is, the more impressive. One day... (laughs) I, I don't know if Apple taught us that, guys. I'm just... I'm making shit up. So one day, the Mark II was having issues. So they took the entire machine apart. When they did, they found a large moth in the machine, like a literal moth. Like a moth. Yeah. Okay. You know, from the memes. (laughs) Grace became the first person to coin the term bug for computers and refer to fixing issues as debugging. Because there is a literal bug in the computer. Quick disclaimer. She didn't create the term bug as it had been used to describe issues in machines since the 19th century, like other pre-computer machines. But she was one of the first to apply the term to computers. And I will think of her every time something doesn't work with a website and begin blaming moths for all of my problems. Why is that not working? Fucking moths, man. I can't tell you. Right. (laughs) Can't even begin. So Grace really took to the Navy and requested to be transferred to the like the regular Navy, not just the women's yeah, reserve whatever. section, the waves. Uh, so she she requested to be in the main part of the Navy. I don't want to say the real Navy. Uh, once the war was over. Again, she was denied on the grounds that she was even older at 38 years old. She's all dried up and shriveled and useless. And you know, here's the thing. She's not in combat. It's not like right, she's like, not. Well, she's not like I want to go be on the front line. Like she's using her intellect, which is clearly not so. Like I, I, I don't understand it. It seems very silly. And actually, spoiler: the Navy will also think it's very silly themselves. She left active service in 1946 and left Harvard when it became obvious that she wouldn't be promoted or have any opportunity to receive tenure. Oh, I don't nice. know if that was a gender thing or what, but. She's a genius who's, like, creating computers and writing the manuals for them and publishing papers. I don't know why they wouldn't want her other than that. In 1949, Grace began working at Eckert McCulley Computer Corporation. Uh, She was working to develop the Univac 1. So that's U-N-I-V-A-C. So I might be saying it wrong. It's an acronym. It's okay. I good. don't care. The, the the It's probably UNIVAC. The UNIVAC one was the first general purpose electronic digital computer designed for robot businesses. At, sorry, robot business application in the U.S. So this was like the next generation of computers that didn't require punch cards because it was all digital, which sounds like so to us. But this was a big deal. For you to have your laptop and your phone, this needed to happen. Now, during this time, Fortran, which was short for Formula Transition, so this was the common programming language for numeric computation and scientific computing. So Fortran relied heavily on symbols, but Grace proposed developing a programming language that was based in English to make it more accessible. So basically, you had to learn, like, a new language, for computing and programming. And she's like, well, what if we make it English so it's a little easier to pick up on so you right. don't have to know what this, that, and the other thing means? As Grace said, quote, what I was after in beginning English language programming was to bring another whole group 
uh, of people able to use the computer easily. I kept calling for more user-friendly languages. Most of the stuff we get from academic, sorry, that's a hard word when you've been drinking, academicians or academians, whatever, computer science people, <laughs> she knew I couldn't say it, uh, is in no way adapted to people. So like, you have to be in the field, super trained and skilled and into this stuff to be able to even begin working with it. She's like, I want to open this up to more people. Grace's idea was shot down with the explanation that, quote, computers didn't understand English. Let's all remember that this was a different time before people truly understood the miraculous powers of computers and that they can literally do whatever the fuck we want them to if we can get them to understand it. This whole computers don't understand English thing went on for three years, but Grace didn't waste time sitting around. She published her first paper on the topic in 1952. So this whole concept of translating one programming language at this time, Fortran, into another was called a compiler. So when the company where Grace was working was taken over by a different corporation, Grace finally had the opportunity to do some real work with a program called the A Compiler, which in which she developed the A-0. Okay. So Grace recalled that, quote, nobody believed that I had a running compiler and nobody would touch it. They told me computers could only do arithmetic. Hmm. So like, w when I think of like programming and math and science, I think of this very like cut and dry kind of idea. Creativity doesn't really come into that. But Grace is crazy creative because everyone's like, no, it's only good for math. And she's like, yeah, but what she's if like, it what wasn't? If it's not? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like her imagination is, is insane. I almost said in crazy. <laughs> That's my new word for insane. In crazy. So Grace explains all of this beautifully. She said that the compiler, quote, translated mathematical notation into machine code. Manipulating symbols was fine for mathematicians, not data processors. Hmm. It's much easier for most people to write an English statement than it is to use symbols. So I decided data processors ought to be able to write their programs in English and the computers would translate them into machine code. So you type in do this the computer translates it into the existing like symbols and understands yeah. it. Okay, that's so cool. That's what she's doing. This is like Google Translate on a atomic scale, which is awesome. This was the beginning of COBOL, C-O-B-O-L, a computer language for data processors. I could say subtract income tax from pay instead of trying to write in the octal code or using all kinds of symbols. Right. COBOL is the major language used today in data processing. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure you could mention it to my husband and he would know all about yeah. it. Yeah. And then he would come in here and the next 30 minutes of the podcast would be him explaining it and yeah. me just nodding and, and being like, fall okay, <laughs> not that he's not entertaining. It's just that it's a lot. I understood this in the most basic broad stroke terms. And I thought it was cool. If we get any deeper, I'm going to like, lose no. my mind. So basically, Grace developed the first compiler based programming languages, including Mathematic and Flowmatic. Now, you may be wondering what COBOL is. It stands for Common Business Oriented Language, which was an extension of the languages Grace had developed. So, so 
1954, Grace became the first director of automatic programming where she was working. In 1959, Grace served as a technical consultant to a committee of computer experts at a two-day conference where they worked to develop COBOL based on Grace's existing languages. So she had created the first compiler. And then they took that and they're like, okay, well, we're going to make this standard. Let's make it better. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to make this standard so anyone can pick it up and work with it. The purpose of COBOL was to standardize programming language. And so she went to this two-day, like, think tank conference and was like, I birthed the first generation of this. I'm going to help you make the second generation. Right. Let's make it better. Exactly. Grace promoted COBOL for use in the military and private sectors and spent the 1960s developing compilers for COBOL. So she was like pushing this hard and by the 1970s COBOL was the most widely used computer language in the world boom thank you Grace thank you Grace we love you though Grace left active service in the Navy she maintained her status as a reservist she was forced to retire in 1966 due to age restrictions yes this is three times now that the Navy has told Grace she's too fucking old right (laughs) she's like guys I'm still not too old. Yeah. She retired as a commander and described it as, quote, the saddest day of my life. Oh, no. Grace, honey. I want to go give her a hug. But here's the thing about the military. If they want you, they'll have you. Right. No matter how old you are, (laughs) they'll bring you back. Well, we we talked about this when you covered Virginia Hall, where they're like, oh, you're too. We don't want you for this. But shit, World War Two is happening and we really need people. And we'll we'll take take you you. for this. And then the second the war was over, they were like, yeah, we don't need you anymore. Sit behind a desk for the rest of your life. Right. So Um, so seven months after her forced retirement, Grace was recalled to active service at 60 years old. Who's too old now, motherfuckers? Right. No offense against the Navy. It's just fucking hilarious. Yeah, it's like, really, guys? So they needed her help standardizing the Navy's multiple computer languages, and Grace spent the next 19 years on active duty. Her subordinates called her Amazing Grace. Oh, I love that. Grace officially retired at 79 years old as a rear admiral. She said once, I seem to do a lot of retiring. (laughs) I love her. She's a sass queen and I love her. After leaving the Navy, Grace worked for the Digital Equipment Corporation, which I'm sorry, sounds made up. It does. Like, like, it sounds like I need a name in my story for like a digital corporate, digital equipment corporation. Keep it simple. Um, so she worked as a senior consultant and lectured about the early days of computing and how programmers could imp- improve the user experience of computers in the future. Because that was her whole thing. She's like, let's make this easier instead of just expecting everyone to catch up to speed. Right. You know? Yeah. Why don't we make it more accessible instead of like... Not saying that what they were doing was gatekeeping, but just being like, no, figure it out. If you want to do it, figure it out. It's like, well, Grace would wear her formal Navy uniform to all of these lectures, despite the Department of Defense having a policy against it. And I mentioned that to Jared because I thought I was like, what a sass queen. And he's like, that seems really weird. Like, I don't think there's a rule against that. Probably not anymore. Yeah, maybe not anymore. But maybe at the time, if she was working on the behalf of a business... And representing the Navy, Hmm. there could be a comp. I don't know. Whatever. She did it because she's like, I fucking earned this. The Navy turned me down because I was too old three times. No, twice. 
And then they forced her into retirement the third time. Yes. And then brought her back. I would I would say that was them turning her away again. <laughs> Grace said, quote, the most important thing I've accomplished, other than building the compiler, is training young people. Aww. They come to me, you know, and say, do you think we can do this? I say, try it. And I back them up. They needed that. I keep track of them as they get older, and I stir them up at intervals so they don't forget to Aww. take chances. Which honestly perfectly encapsulates what she did throughout yeah. her career. She's like, well, let's try it. Why Why would we just say, no, like, we can't do yeah, that? Yeah, why are you saying we can't do it? Let's just try. She worked up until a year before her death in 1992. She passed away on January 1st of 1992 mm. at 85 years old. Wow. She was interred at Arlington, Cemi- Arlington Cemetery with full honors. So the Arlington ladies were definitely there. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. And we actually, I, I covered them. Uh, we did a Memorial Day episode this last year. So our Memorial mm-hmm. Day episode of 2020, look it up. Kelly covers uh, another veteran, Lori Paestua, and I cover the yep. Arlington ladies. It was and a great episode. You will definitely cry. <laughs> So I have a living legacy section for her. Though Grace slayed her entire life, it wasn't until her later years that she became a more recognized figure, receiving 40-plus honorary degrees, scholarships, professorships, awards, and a shit ton of things named after her. She is also on Kelly's Puzzle, which is truly the greatest honor. In 1991, Grace was awarded the National Medal of Technology, which is uh, our nation's highest technology award wow. that none of us have ever heard of. Nope. <laughs> I heard it in your voice. You're like, oh, that's cool. I know cool. you said that, and I'm like, I don't know what that is, but cool. So uh, that was awarded to her by President George Bush Sr. This made Grace the first woman to receive this medal as an individual. Yay. In honor of her incredible service, the Navy commissioned a guided missile destroyer called the USS Hopper. That's awesome. She I want, has a I missile want, Yeah, I was like, I want a destroyer <laughs> named after me. Jesus Christ, that's so badass. Okay, and now that the traditional legacy, the post. Legacy. How do you Living say that word again? What? Posthumously. Yeah, the posthumous legacy. I always say want I always want to say posthumously. Which clearly I cannot even pronounce. In two thousand anyway. <laughs> Thank God someone has to. In 2016, Grace was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom for her contributions in the field of computer science. Which is the highest civilian honor you can get. Literally my next sentence. Oh, that's funny. You're perfect. You're amazing. Uh, The virtual Grace Hopper celebration, which is called the VGHC, is the world's largest gathering of women technologists, giving women from all over the world the opportunity to network, collaborate, and empower each other. And literally, when I was Googling Grace Hopper, this was like maybe the third result. Wow. Yes. And we're talking all about like their virtual experience because the world is in a pandemic. Uh, I want to be very clear. This is just scratching the surface. I encourage everyone to look more into Grace's story, especially if you're more computer savvy than me, because I really wanted to, like Grace, make this more accessible to less technologically savvy people than me. I love you for that. (laughs) So uh, Grace leaves a legacy of redefining what is possible and refusing to accept things the way they are. She was always fighting against the phrase, quote, we've always done it this way, which she described as the most dangerous phrase in the English language. I don't know. I think a close second is you're too old for this. (laughs) 
God damn it. Uh, imagine what she would have accomplished if they had told her she was too old. Right. So I would like to end this story with a quote from Grace that I really loved. Quote, a ship in port is safe, but that's not what ships are for. Sail out to sea and do new things. I like that. We salute you, Grace Hopper. We do. I'm so glad to finally have covered her because every time I look into doing uh, female veterans, she comes up. Right. But the whole program, I was like, I'm not going to be able to See, and I feel like you almost this. were better at covering it than I, because I feel like I probably would have gone more in depth and people would have just been like, I don't know what she's talking about. And it, it reminds me of, so I think it was in the 80s when computers, like personal computers were really taking off. You know, it used to be, it used to be like yeah. you had to type in a command and you had to learn like some level of coding. Yeah, you had to know like basic DOS programming. So... That was what you used to have to do. And then someone was like, how can we make this even easier for users? And that's where we get like icons and double clicking and like all the things that are so intuitive for us today. All the user friendly things. This was even before that where it's like, let's do this in English. You know, like, like, let's train computers to understand our commands. only do math? Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. So that was our uh, unintentional Veterans Day episode, particularly Navy centered. Yes, and I, I don't know. It was it was cool because I feel like we've covered a lot of women in combat, or who yeah, were we like have. you know we, we've covered uh, military nurses, we've covered women in combat, we've covered women who have you know concealed their gender. To serve frontline women, and I feel like we went uh, we got a little more diverse. Yeah, we did this time. So if you are interested in learning about more female veterans, please check out our Instagram. Uh, I posted a picture that has all of our episodes where we cover female veterans. I did actually miss one of them. (gasps) How dare you? It it was a woman I covered. I don't remember what episode number it was, but it was um, a dark distinction. And that was about the only woman in the vietnam war who was killed by enemy fire yeah so uh check that out if you want to hear about more female veterans keep the veterans day jam going also i think this episode's a really great opportunity to just address that we're so thankful to our veterans and everything they've done everything they've sacrificed also to the families of veterans but you cannot say that you support veterans unless you support all veterans that includes women That includes people of color. That includes trans veterans. It's not something that's... um, You can't be selective. That's not the word I was looking for, but yeah, that's what I was going for. You can't... Yeah, you can't be selective. Veterans are veterans. It doesn't matter what color their skin is. It doesn't matter what their gender is. They served our country. Exactly. So thank you to all of the veterans. All of them. uh, Post-Veterans Day, but there's never really a bad day to thank our veterans and be appreciative. Agreed. So, all right. Well, Kelly, other than the veterans, obviously, what are you thankful what for? What am I thankful for? I'm, a th- I'm thankful for a weekend that I, like, other than, like, I have a lot of schoolwork to do and cleaning around the house, but, like, I don't have any, like, plans, and I'm actually kind of excited for that. Like, it's just, I'm, I can just do whatever I want besides schoolwork. I was actually, I was reading an article the other day about uh, time poverty where basically uh, people feel time poor. Oh, yeah. I definitely feel that way all the um, time. Yeah. No. And I, I I read it because I was like, oh, my God, I feel like this is going to get really 
personal and really targeted towards me. And one of the things they were talking about is making sure you schedule time where you don't have to do anything. Right. Just because you have free time doesn't mean you have to fill it with things. It's okay to say no, even if you if you kind of want to do something. Right. Sometimes or even it's nice someone to just in a while. say no and kind of do your own thing. And uh, one of the other tips in there that I really need to work on is when you're having downtime, disconnecting from your electronic devices. Yeah, I need to it's do that so too. much easier for us to kind of unintentionally interrupt each other's lives. And it if you do have downtime, even if you're answering a text or reading it and you don't answer it, it feels it, they call it time confetti because you're maybe one hour of free time gets broken up into like three minute interrupted chunks. That's interesting though. So even if you only had 10 minutes of that hour that was lost to answering texts or emails or whatever, it was broken up in such a way where you never felt like you got to You never actually got that downtime. Yeah. So it's something I'm working on. And so I'm very happy that you're you're getting that opportunity to decompress, disconnect, and other than schoolwork, do nothing because that's so important. I mean, I'll probably end up like cleaning the house or something, but it'll be something I want to do, not something I have to do. Exactly. Exactly. I just did that like frenzy deep cleaning last Saturday and it felt so good. Right. It's when it's when you're doing it for you, not because you're like, oh, God, someone's coming over or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I I have to do it. No, this is I want to do it. Um, I am thankful that I had a really good Veterans Day with Jared. Like I kind of mentioned at the top of the episode, that can be a a charged day, uh, really hit or miss. But Jared had a really good day. Our favorite coffee shop gave us free coffee. We got 50% off his favorite barbecue place. And actually, we kind of practiced that whole disconnecting decompressing because at one point we had had lunch and I ate a veggie burrito that was the size of my chihuahua who's like nine pounds so just to give he's not a teacup guys <laughs> he's a sizable chi but uh we were kind of sitting after lunch just sitting on the couch watching tv and he's like what what are you like doing for the rest of the day and I was like well I should probably put up the Christmas lights because the weather is nice and I should probably do this I should probably do that and he kind of gave me a look and I said do you would you rather like we just hang out on the couch together he's like yeah and I'm like that's Aww. totally fine You're and like, I, I don't have to do anything. yeah of it, it was more of that I have free time during what would otherwise be a work day I feel like I should be using the time productively but instead I was able to use the time I mean productively but quality. like toward your relationship I, yeah, yeah I was able to have quality time with my partner where we weren't s- stressing about stuff or do we just got to hang out yeah, together and nice. like cuddle like on that. the couch so that was a really nice day and I'm very happy for Aww. that that's cute All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Herstory. Special thanks to Spencer for your amazing article and inspiring Kelly and now me. Uh, We would love to have you on the show sometime if you have the time. We understand you are very busy and we love you and we support Mm you. Uh, please like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory, Instagram at WAHpod. Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is whiningaboutherstory.com. And we have an email address, whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com, where we would love to hear from you. We also have a Patreon and a Teespring. If you search Whining About Herstory, you can get yourself some sweet merch or donate as little as $1 and you can get some sweet, sweet behind the scenes videos and Herstory happening episodes. It's great. 
It's amazing. In fact, there's one coming out on Wednesday. Yes. It's very exciting. Uh, we got some 50s flair going on. Yeah. And uh, we actually just published our most recent Hursary Happenings where Kelly covers some European witch trials that get fucking dark, y'all. Yeah, they do. They're real Kids bad. are in ovens. It's fucked up and you definitely want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, we have been getting some recommendations into our email and stuff. Thank you so much for that. Yes, we, we love, love that. We love that. We love you. Stay tuned. You know who you are. It's coming up. We promise. Don't stop listening. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Hursary. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.